0: Good morning. Uh, we'd like to welcome you to El Paso Bible Church this morning on the first day of the year. And starting off just right, isn't it? Starting off with the Lord on the first day of the year. And that's great, even um, as individuals. We thank the Lord for that opportunity. Uh, this morning, um, if you look at your bulletin, several announcements uh, that we'd like to just kind of go over. Um, the ministries that have been a hold for during the holidays will be resuming um, here at El Paso Bible Church, uh, the youth group on January 8th at 6 p.m., Awana, Wednesdays, uh, January 11th. And there's also a women's uh, meeting, ministry meeting that will be held on Saturday the 7th coming up. And also another note is a women's Bible study on Tuesday the 17th also will resume. So for all you ladies, you make note of that also. And for the youth, uh, please note the times and uh, the dates on the, on the ministries coming up. Uh, this morning, uh, before um, I would like for you to open your Bibles to Romans, uh, chapter 11. As I just read a several, uh, several passages from uh, chapter 11, beginning with verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable! Are his judgments and his ways past finding out? For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and they shall be repaid to him. For of him and through through him and in him are all things, to whom he to whom be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, God, this morning what a wonderful privilege we have to come to worship one with another and even Father, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we think of many that are not present with us. Many are traveling. We pray that you extend your mercies on them, Father, as they travel back to El Paso, wherever they are. Many, Father, are sick. that are still battling illnesses, Father. Then, and we just lift them up to you, Father, especially the myers lord we thank you lord for all the ministries here at pastor bible church we thank you for your presence here your spirit and father we pray that this morning will be one that's glorifying to you lord that the music and even the preaching of the word father would be uplifting to our hearts and for the whole purpose of just worshiping you this morning we say thank you so much for your goodness for your love and looking forward to this coming year, father Thank you for the past, but we know, Father, that you hold the future in your hand. So we depend on you, Father, and we thank you so much for all that you've done for us individually and also for this body. Father, just pray that this morning will be just a special one for for all of us that are here. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Good morning, everyone. Would you please stand with us for a time of worship?
2: Holy Jesus, may my heart be a ever- Thank yeah. about a And he went on down to hell, he took back every key, he rose up as a lion, and he said, I'll The one who has overcome the grave, let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty king, worthy is the lamb, worthy of our praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave, let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty king, worthy is the lamb, worthy of our praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the Worthy is a mighty king Worthy is the Lamb Worthy of our praise Who has overcome the grave Let the people dance Let the people sing Worthy is a mighty king If you walked out of the grave I'm walking too If you walked out of the grave I'm walking too if you walked out of the grave I'm walking to If you walked out of the grave I'm walking to I feel the winds, they try to shake me. I will not be moved. My feet are on the rock. I can feel the waters rise. I can hear the howling lies that haunt me. He won't hold me now. My feet are on the rock. And I feel my hope about to break I will come to your unchanging grace Let the waters come and the earth give way I'll be dancing in the rain My feet are on the rocks I can see the morning light I can feel the joy on the horizon Here my faith is found I stand on solid ground When I feel my hope about to break I will cling to your unchanging grace Let the waters and the earth give way I'll be dancing in prayer. On Christ's solid rock, I stand on the ground, a sinking sand. So stomp your feet and clap your hands, I'll feed you on the rock. On Christ's solid rock, I stand on the ground, a sinking sand. So stomp your feet and clap your hands, I'll feed you on the rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand All of the ground is sinking sand So stomp your feet and you clap your hands I'll feed on When I feel my hope about to break I will cling to your unchanging grace Let the waters come and the earth give way I'll be dancing in the rain When I feel my hope to break, I will cling to your world changing grace, let the waters come and the earth give way, I'll be dancing in the rain, My my feet are on the rock, my feet are on the rock, my feet are on the rock.
1: We have a little worship app. The worship team has an app that we use to uh, schedule songs and musicians and to practice on. And I was looking at it uh, a couple weeks ago, and I saw that the one of the first songs we did last year, first Sunday of last year, was the song we're doing today, "Battle Belongs." And I just thought it would it was. Helpful to remember that 2023 won't be the same as 2022, right? If it was, it would be easy to go through it. Because we know the battles we went through, the frustrations, all the struggles. It's just going to be different. But still, we're going to have our own battles to fight and our own things to deal with. Uh, But it's helpful to remember that the battle always belongs to the Lord. And He's always by our side. Can we sing this?
3: Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Y'all are confused because you're a bunch of Bible church people. I got two mics. Well, it's New Year's too. It is actually the eighth day of Christmas. So, after church today, we'll have an eight maids of milking contest in the parking lot. Grace will win. Uh, she's the only one I know that has any relevant current uh, milking experience. Anybody else? All right. We didn't bring any goats though, so we're going to be in trouble. Uh, today's eighth day of Christmas. When you, if you were a kid, you were trying to count backwards from the day of Christmas to get twelve days. That's not the way it goes, right? But happy New Year to you also. Um, this is an opportunity that we have, not that frequently, to actually celebrate the New Year together, worshiping on the New Year, um, and so that is a, a wonderful thing. Um, and you know, it takes a lot to pry me away from my series. And it didn't work this week. So we simply are at a point in First John where we have something that we ought to resolve today. And by that, I don't mean to correct, but to focus on and resolve to do. So remember, though, because it's been a couple of weeks, y'all are still in a carb coma, probably. Yes? Yeah? Everybody's feeling a little sleepy. Got a few people sick, a lot of people traveling. Uh, and, and that's okay because I'm good at review, right? We can do some review. We're here in the book of 1 John, and you remember that it's important that we remember where we started here because it is a discussion, right, of fellowship, but not fellowship only for its own sake. We could say that, right, because really in, in church culture, we equate fellowship with potlucks, right? That's not where 1 John is going with fellowship, right? That may be an, an example, an exhibition but fellowship is, John tells us in this letter, the key to the fullness of joy. That is the, the remedy for the the pucker-faced Christians out there, right? You all know some people that love Jesus, that scowl a lot? I'll, I'll raise my hand. Of course I know him. He's me. <laughs> uh, but fellowship, right, is the key to the fullness of joy, and John gives us that, and he Understands and includes himself, and this is key to understand. It'll come up again in this passage, um, that the use of the pronouns throughout indicates that the potential for fellowship and the potential for the fullness of joy is something that John applies to himself as an apostle. Now, Christians are very famous for going around judging whether who's going to heaven or not, and we don't do a whole lot of that at El Paso Bible Church, especially not based on whether you are naughty or not. Because you all are, all are naughty, right? Yes, you are. Santa Claus is not pleased with you, but we don't care, right? We don't do that. We don't want to make the mistake here, right? None of you would say that there's a, a question as to whether John the Apostle is actually a believer, right? Don't, because that would be foolish. Don't raise your hand if you think that. Come talk to me afterwards, and I'll fix you. Okay? Nobody doubts that. So we have to understand that when John says we, that's not a rhetorical device. He means we. And when he says that when we sin, we ought to confess that sin, he means we. He does mean we. Justified individuals, people who are going to heaven when they die, people who have an identity in Christ that cannot be taken from them simply by grace through faith, who have received eternal life as a free gift. And it's the key, part of the key, to their fullness of joy, to comprehend the greatness of the love that the Father has bestowed upon us, such that we would be called children of God, because that is an appropriate appellation, right? We're not just calling things something, they are that, he says, and such we are. So fellowship is the key to these things, that is the topic of 1 John, it is the key, and it is something that we don't want to lack, right we don't want to lack joy in our lives so we need to understand the things that this letter contains do not make the mistake that the topic of first john is how to tell who's going to heaven and who's not because that simply cannot be the grammar does not permit that simply the pronouns don't permit it if nothing else it's about those who are obedient children of God, who are fulfilling their obligation to love, and those who need to change their behavior and become obedient children of God, who love each other the way Christ loved us. There is one exception to that when he says there were those who went out from them so that, that it would be known that they were not of us, but those people are called antiChrists. They're literally rejecting the central tenet of the gospel that Jesus is the Christ when he says us and we, those are all believers. Those are all justified people. Nothing else is permissible in the context. So we're going to talk about some resolutions. We might call them, and John calls them obligations. Heck of a New Year's sermon, huh? We want to talk about what we're hoping to do. Well, I don't care what you hope to do. We're going to tell you what the Bible says we ought to do. What our obligation is. Verse 7 of chapter 4 of 1 John is where we are this morning. And it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Two things that you can tell about somebody who loves, but let's back up here. John starts by telling us that we are beloved that god loves all of his children i hope nobody's mistaken about that uh, god loves all of his children therefore we have this type of revelation we have this kind of instruction exhortation admonition in scripture for us because unruly children are not joyful are they anybody yes no Y'all like the unruly children? Hmm. The unruly children are dangerous. Specifically, they're a danger to themselves and to others. And so scripture gives us instruction to be applied to the Holy Spirit so that we can remedy that problem within the local church, especially. John states it in what's called a hortatory subjunctive. So a hortatory subjunctive, that's a big fancy word that means a command that is including the speaker. Let us do something. It's an imperative, but it includes the person who's speaking. It's not simply what I do with Isaac every morning. Isaac, go feed the pig. Or Priscilla does it. Priscilla does not say, Isaac, let us go feed the pigs. You know why? Because she does not want to include herself in that particular chore. That's Isaac's chore. So there's no hortatory subjunctive. That's simply an imperative. But John says that we are beloved together, therefore, together, let us, from a position of authority, he says, let us love one another. That's the apostle whom Jesus loved, commanding himself to love. That's an important thing. Why do you command somebody to do something? because they're doing it passively, automatically. You walk around telling somebody to breathe. Part of their autonomic systems, generally. You don't have to tell them to breathe. We do it as a joke. You tell somebody, you give somebody a command. You can give them a hortatory subjunctive even to love because there is a potential that even as the the apostle whom Jesus loved, one of the beloved might forget at minimum, might reject, might rebel against his obligation to love. Remember, John has included himself the whole way through. This is not unique. He had a unique relationship with Christ in, in the world, but he is still one that needs to be made complete. He is still one who was awaiting being in the very presence of Jesus Christ and he says that when we are before him and we see him as he truly is, then we shall be like him. He was waiting for that just like everybody he was writing to. He needed to love one another. He included himself in the caution. We don't want to be those who shrink back from the presence of Christ. Included himself as one who is in awe of the great love that the Father had bestowed upon us. A central thing in 1st John, right? That's what John does. He includes himself all the way through. Includes himself. Let us love one another. And he gives us a conclusion that we can make, and you want to be careful here. Let us love one another, beloved, for love is from God. Now, he is not talking about all the things that pass for love in this world, right? Because the culture tells you that if you love your children, you leave. Uh, you, you talk about how their gender was assigned to them. Instead of that their gender is a feature of their genetics, given to them by virtue of creation, by the very image of God at the moment of conception, it's identifiable. So the culture tells us that something that distinctly resembles hate is love. That's not the love we're talking about, is it? Love is not the same thing as tolerance of all things. So we need to be clear that in in 1 John, John is not communicating an ambiguity here. He's not saying that you just need to make people smile because that's what God is in the business of doing, right? Is Making people smile, right? No. Because in our culture, what we mean when we say you need to be loving to that person, what we mean most of the time, and Christians do something stupid like this, What they mean is, be nice. Don't offend. Be loving. Relieve yourselves of that delusion. That is a delusion. I don't tell my children to be nice anymore. I did before I became wise. Still growing wise. I tell them to be kind, I tell them to love, tell them not to hate, because those have definitions, but nice is irrelevant to your life. Nice has no definition. There is no 1 Corinthians 13 of nice. When John uses the word love, He's talking about the love that is reflective of God's love, reflective of God's person, of his character, and in fact, you could say of his substance. Later on, he says God is love. It's equative. We're talking about authentic, God-emulating, sacrificial love that honors him and brings him glory in the world. And that's the kind of love that he said. Do not make the mistake of understanding the Apostle John to be saying, brethren, beloved, let us be very nice to each other. He didn't say that. When Jesus stared his enemies in the face and (laughs) called them all sorts of rather earthy epithets, and he did. He was loving his enemies by speaking truth to them in a rather harsh way. So if you want to be like Jesus, you need to embrace that capability. We've said this before, right? If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to be like Jesus, you can't do that if you never get angry. You cannot be like Jesus if you never get angry. You cannot be like Jesus if you don't have enemies. You can't be like Jesus if you don't hate certain things. That's not the first chapter in the church growth book, folks. That's not the way they say it. But you also can't be like Jesus if you don't love the way that Jesus loved. He said, let us love one another. Let us love one another. For love is from God, it's sourced from God. And everyone who is loving, it's a participle, present participle, you could say it that way, or loves, that's fine is born of God and knows God. So that's why I spend a lot of time on helping you to understand all of the, kind of not all of the facets, but at least some of the more extreme facets of what Jesus exhibited as love. Uh, Because we have this obligation and it is evidence of something. Because there is no other source for divine love than God is there. You will not get it from a political party. You will not get it from any level of government. You will not get it from an unbeliever. You get nice at best. You don't get God's love anywhere except from God. So he says, everyone who exhibits that kind of love, when you know two things about him or her? Can we stop there, everybody on board? He and her, he and she, him and her. God created them male and female, I think, right? Okay. Two things. They're born of God. But not only that, they know God. Now, we've talked about this, right, guys? Men, occasionally I have to stop and talk to the men because... Well, I've never been a woman, so I don't know what you're asking questions about. Uh, you know, I know it's 2022, but I'm a caveman. So I stop and talk to the men. Men, <laughs> I've told you before that I knew my wife as my fiance, my girlfriend, comparatively quite well the day we got married compared to most people. We knew each other pretty well But now, our 23rd anniversary is next Sunday. How much do you think that I know about Priscilla today that I didn't know 23 years ago? And I think that this sentiment can be echoed over and over and over, and you could probably say the same thing, women, but again, I'm not going to speak for you necessarily. I knew about the tip of that pinky fingernail 23 years ago. Because you initiate a relationship, even between people, you initiate a covenant relationship based on trust. What you know, the little bit that you know, you trust. And the world tells you you're an idiot for doing it, by the way. They want to destroy marriage because they don't see how you can do that. But you don't know the day that you establish that covenant relationship. Nobody does. Nobody does. You can shack up together for 25 years, be engaged for another 13, and still not know the experience of that covenant relationship will provide for you. It is initiated on trust, and it is followed by knowledge. And what John is saying here is that you can tell, because there's only one source for God's love that comes from God, that the relationship has been initiated based on trust. But that's not the only thing, because there are a lot of believers that don't love, right? Come on now. Now they're getting offended. This is like when I said, "Man, it's going to be hard to love your wives the way Paul says to love your wives." All the women, I, I am lovable. I am lovable. Don't overstate that, Pastor Josh. Yes, you're lovable. It's still hard. Look, there's more. He says that if you see somebody that is demonstrating the authentic, pure, absolute, sacrificial Christ-emulating love that God wants you to love one another with then there is more than simply trust at work. It is a modicum, at least, of knowledge, of intimacy, of understanding who God is. You've learned something. Praise Jesus, we have the opportunity to learn. So you can say that. Understand that those are not, the two, those are not synonyms. Knowing is not trusting. Trusting is not knowing. Right? That's a biblical principle. One day faith will cease because it will become sight. You'll know. You don't need to trust anymore. Those are not the same things. So keep that in mind when we read this second verse because there's one of these that's missing. It's important. The one who does not love is going to hell in a handbasket. No. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Can a believer fit that bill? They do it all the time. Why do we teach the Bible the way we teach the Bible at El Paso Bible Church? Because I want you to know God. Why do I want you to know God? So you can have prideful conversations with each other? So that you can simply understand the wacky vocabulary that I use up here on a regular basis? No. In a sense, it's because it makes my job joyful and easy, it makes the elders' job joyful and easy. Because if you know God, then you love. And if you're loving, then we don't have to bring any kind of hammer down, right? We don't have to do anything about it. We don't have to have hard conversations about correction or discipline or those kinds of things, which we do when necessary. But a believer, notice, it does not say that you can look at somebody who isn't loving the way God wants them to love and tell if they're going to heaven when they die. That's conspicuously and absolutely absent from that verse. What you can tell from somebody who doesn't love the way God wants them to is that they do not know God. They may be a believer still in that initial infantile narcissistic stage, right? We all go through it. All babies are kind of narcissists, aren't they? I mean, they're cute. They're cute, little narcissists, aren't they? Everything's about them. Everything's about me. If I don't have what I need, I scream. If I do have what I need, I need a diaper change. Big mouth on one end, lack of responsibility on the other. Ronald Reagan said he was using it to illustrate government, but it illustrates the babies pretty well, too. A lot of Christians live there. They don't grow to know God, and thus they do not love, and they just kind of wallow in immaturity. They don't know God because they don't love. That's why it's important that you don't insert both phrases back in there like a lot of people do. I mean, literally, commentaries on 1 John do that. That's foolish. That is not the inspired text. That is not what it says. They don't know God. You certainly can't tell simply by a lack of love in someone's life whether they have trusted in Jesus Christ for eternal life. They may never grow out of it. I mean, there's profound numbers, inexplicable numbers of explanations and illustrations of that fact. The chronological age is no guarantee of maturity. That's true even in a non-spiritual sense, isn't it? I know a lot of people that are spoiled rotten on Social Security. I mean, they're of the age to collect it. They're just little punk kids on the inside. They never grew up. That's just life. That's a reality. And Scripture does paint that picture as a possibility. But they certainly have not come to know God in the way that produces love. And it is a profoundly negative thing in their lives. It is a dangerous thing. The worst, most disastrous entity that I can fathom as a pastor, maybe I have a personal bias here, is a local church that is devoid of Christ-like love. A spiritual kinder care It's an awful thing to consider. But anyway, verse 9 says this By this, the love of God was manifested, shown forth, Fani Rao, in us. That God has sent his only, unique, or only begotten Son into the world. Monogeneth, that was the title you gave the singular heir, the only one of his kind. The only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. You could say God's love is evident among us. I think that's a, a, a corporate statement. Because we're talking about fellowship here. God's love is manifested in our relationships with each other, like that. In our collective fellowship, we see it, and we witness it. It's clear. By means of living through Christ. The only begotten. Understand, a lot of people over the history of the church have assumed that that is some sort of creation statement. There, that's not how Scripture portrays Christ. Um, And in fact, no one had to be literally born to be the monogenes out of you know of a father. John one makes that clear. not born not of not of the flesh, not of the will of man. simply means that he holds a place that no one else can hold. He is utterly unique. One of the ways that that word, uh, that preposition is used through dia with the, with, in this phrasing. Y'all know what a genitive is. Some of you know what a genitive is. When you have this here, it indi- sometimes indicates the, the material of which something is made So what John is indicating, if that, I don't think that's the case, because he said here that God is love, to love each other. We live by means of that, by agency of it, out of that substance. We live by means of that. Because, I mean, you tell somebody, right, it's, it's on all the Christian bumper stickers and all the little cards and all that, for me to live is Christ. Is that true? Well, it's true of Paul. It's true of Paul. Hopefully it is true of us. It's a realization that he had come to, a revelation that he had received. And that was the case. Um, but people don't actually know what that means. To live through Christ. It's like they sit around and wait to buy a tie. To figure out which one Jesus would have them buy. I have news for you. Jesus doesn't care what tie you buy. He does not care if you tie your shoes with the two little loops or whether you do the rabbit around the tree. Did your grandma teach you that? My mother tried to teach me the two loops, and my grandma Meyer taught me the rabbit around the tree. I forgot about 25 years ago how to tie my shoes. That's why I wear boots every day. What does it mean to live through Christ? Well, it's self-evident from this context. It means to love. God is love. Let us love one another. You're not looking for a grocery list from Jesus, folks. It is a singular obligation to lay our lives down for the other children of God in our family. God is love, and we see that through his unique son, And we live out his substance to love. It's a huge amount of freedom there. Especially in the years since I was at Dallas Seminary, I have been loved in some very unique ways by the body of Christ. Ways that I would not have imagined, ways that I could not have fathomed because there was an exercise of that freedom. I had one solution for certain things in mind and a believer came and said, well, I can't do that, but I can do this. Well, that's way better. It's an amazing, wonderful thing when we take that to heart, right? Because the love that God wants us to exhibit that was exhibited by His unique Son, Jesus Christ, Is an amazing feature. It means that we love we're we continually seeking the best interest of others. We're continually sacrificing our desires for their sake when we do that. To lay down our lives, that's what John says. As Christ has done, so we ought also to do. That's what he said in this book. To love. In this is love. There's a lot of love in First John. Not that we loved God. We. Nothing special about the apostle here, by the way. He didn't become an apostle because he was one of these unique men that somehow got a corner on the love market and loved God first. That didn't happen. God loved him before they loved God. No one, excuse me, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He defined love. He initiated love. He showed it, manifested it. He culminated his love in sending his son as a satisfaction. Satisfaction for every requirement for us to have life. That's the base meaning of propitiation, right? When I talk to you about wacky vocabulary, you could say propitiation is like that, but out of all the vocabulary that I use, you ought to learn that one. We've talked about it before. 1 John 2.2 clarifies the nature of propitiation, Right? That he is the propitiation for our sins, but also the whole world's sins. Here the focus is on what he has done within the family, how that should affect our love for one another. It doesn't change the universal nature, the complete nature, the absolute nature of propitiation. The focus is on what he has done specifically for us and how that affects our relationship between us and other children of God. Everyone with a sin problem, Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient and has accomplished satisfaction of his wrath towards sin. He himself, John said earlier, is the propitiation of Christ. Understand, it makes God's love unmistakable that he did that. But that's not the sum total experience of God's love. There are some believers that act like they have currently experienced all the love that God has poured out. That's not true. (laughs) You will experience God's love and God's grace for eternity. And as I see it in ever increasing measure, if God dumped all that on you right now, you'd just fall over dead. You can't hack it. You're in the meat suit. A meat suit can't handle that kind of thing. Yeah? But it does make it unmistakable. It was manifested. It was shown forth. You can have confidence that God loves you because of that event, because of the propitiation that Christ himself is and that God sent him to provide. The Father sent him. We'll know that more because he demonstrated in this magnificent, unmistakable way. We have a bookend here. This is how you know, by the way, how to define context a lot of times is there's bookends. He began by saying, beloved. Now he's going to end by saying, beloved. We call them bookends. Bible study methods here real quick for you. He assures them because... What, do you, what, what happens when you tell a big group of people, big group of believers, let us love one another? What goes through your head? All the ways that you didn't? Yeah? Maybe? Sometimes. Maybe not all the time. Maybe you're pretty chill about it most of the time. But sometime, maybe it happens. Well, after he finishes saying that, he wants to assure them, guys, however you have failed, however you have failed to love, you are beloved. I'm beloved. You're beloved. If you're a child of God, simply by grace, through faith, whether you have come to know God in a consequential measure or whether you're still at the simply trusting maturity level and knowledge level, you are beloved. You're a child of God. Beloved, if God so loved us. Okay, so here's a quick Sunday school quiz for you. Didn't know you are going to get a pop quiz. This is a conditional statement, isn't it? If. There's a big if there, we would say. Does God love you? Yes. Yeah. He does love you. He is love. Particularly if you're his child, he loves you. So don't get hung up by the if. Lots of people get hung up on the if, especially when it's attached to love. You might ask, rightfully so, perhaps, if your husband loves you, if your wife loves you, if your mom loves you, (laughs) if your daddy loves you, if your grandparents love you, if your children love you. You might have some ambiguity there, but John does not allow ambiguity because your granddaddy and your daddy and your mama and your sister and your children are not love they are asked to emulate God's love but God is love he loves beloved if God so loved us in this way and he does it's a historical fact we Some of y'all are not going to like this translation. We owe it to love one another. Oh, some of y'all even cringed visibly. I dig it. Here's your problem. Some of you, we talked about one problem. Here's your problem. Maybe you also had the other problem we talked about, which is to equate being loving with being nice. Throw that out of the way. Get that out of your mind. Nothing is further from the truth. Nice has no definition, but love is the definite thing in Scripture. Here's your problem. You think that love and obligation are mutually exclusive, and that is untrue. Most of you are currently possessed by the romantic notion that love is some sort of feeling that you have and that it, it excludes obligation, that you simply do things out of love and not out of obligation. And that's cheap chicken bologna, folks. You know, Sam's hasn't had beef bologna in nearly three and a half years. You know what they do have? Cheap chicken hot dogs, which is just rolled up bologna. And that's that kind of understanding of what love is. I won't even eat it. Wouldn't eat it when I was six. We used to have these neighborhood barbecues, and all the neighbors would say, oh, we got hot dogs for the kids as they're grilling ribeyes, or hamburgers, big juicy hamburgers, and they had cheap chicken torpedo bologna for us. I was like, bruh, I don't want to eat that stuff. Yeah, right, Tony? All right. Don't apply your cheap chicken bologna definitions... From the Hallmark Channel or wherever you got it from, to your understanding of what love is. When are your children happy in your family, folks? Hold on, maybe I should back up. Are your children ever happy? You may need to resolve this issue. (laughs) If your children are unhappy, likely what they need is not less obligation, they need more. They do. Your children need to work. They need to work regularly, and they need to sweat at it. Because children that don't know how to do that are unhappy, even as children, and they are miserable adults. And that's all John is telling the children of God. Because remember, we're talking about how to live in fellowship, which is the key. To the fullness of joy, which is a comprehension of the great Father, or the great love of the Father, which He has bestowed upon us to call us children of God, but He doesn't want to leave us there as immature children of God. We're supposed to grow in knowledge of who He is and how to demonstrate and emulate His character to other people. And so, if you recoil from the, nation, the notion of obligation of love, you need to grow up. You are obligated, I am obligated, and you can remind me of that. Now don't remind me of that just every time I tell you something hard, because I could be being exactly, precisely loving you at that moment. Just because when I tell you something you don't like, and this happens to me a lot, it's like my spiritual gift to tell people things they don't wanna hear. vocational hazard. (laughs) You and I have an obligation. We owe it to love one another. And the most wonderful thing is that God has provided not only the obligation, but the resources and the blessing that accompany fulfilling it. Result. I don't know about you, but I have gone uh, through substantial periods of my life and probably will again (laughs) where much stress in my life was caused by not knowing whether I had the resources to fulfill my obligations. You don't have that problem when it comes to loving one another. God has provided everything you and I need to fulfill that obligation and to receive the reward that comes by receiving it, by embracing it. We're not lying when we say he's a good, good father. He is not just good. He's perfect. So I hope you'll resolve with me today to love. And if you don't come back next week, I'll fix you again. Just kidding. Need to resolve to love each other today. Jacob, do we have another song this morning? All right. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the precision of it. We thank you for the absolute and perfect precision of it. It gives us clear indication of your will for our lives. We ask you for the courage this morning and the discipline to embrace this obligation to love in ways that you would have us do so. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
1: We have one more song. We'll dismiss with this.
2: See the morning light. I can see feel the horizon. Here, my faith is found. I stand on solid ground. When I feel my hope about to break, I will cling to your unchanging grace Let the waters come and the earth give way. I'll be dancing in the rain When I feel my hope about to break I will cling to your unchanging grace Let the waters come and the earth give way I'll be dancing in the rain My feet are on the rock You're dismissed church Feet are on the rock